0: couple of weeks we're going to have a couple of special people here on a Sunday. Um, uh, das from India he's an apost- he's a, really an apostle he's a church planter and they plant churches in the unreached territories of India where it's risking your life to do it and they planted so many and, and suffered greatly in doing it but seen the Lord move so mightily. He will be with us the first Sunday in November that morning. And on that same Sunday that evening, Joe Ewan from Scotland, the, the prophet brother, is going to be with us. You don't want to miss, every time Joe comes, it's just, it's like you got kissed by the father, right? Yeah. So we don't want to miss those times. Those are coming up around the corner. So uh, take advantage of all the things that we have available to you, if you will, because uh, we want you to get as encouraged and strengthened as you can possibly get. Now we have kids going downstairs. So we're going to let them go at this time. Not today? Everybody's upstairs? Oh, great. Excellent. You guys are going to like what I'm preaching today. (laughs) Toddlers and infants can't go downstairs if parents want to take advantage of that. Everybody else is upstairs today. Now, we've had times, we've had this, you know, for a long season. We had everybody upstairs for a good while, week to week. And our kids were getting so much. It was incredible. So uh, don't underestimate what a kid can grab and pull into their heart. And I, I want to give you a message today I've entitled, Free from Condemnation. Can you, can you handle something like that? Free from Condemnation. Now I need to ask some questions to get us started here. And then I'm just going to kind of spontaneously get into some scripture and see what the Holy Spirit does. Do you know that there is a level of freedom in Christ that transcends your personality, your Enneagram number, or any other thing you might have looked to for the sake of self-discovery and understanding? Do you know that it's absolutely 100% possible for you to be totally free of avoidance, behavior, and condemnation? Do you know that knowing yourself better is not the pathway to real freedom? Some people get to know themselves better and they end up trapped in a life of avoidance to hopefully rid themselves of conflict, condemnation, or confusion. But for all their efforts, they still deal with conflict, condemnation, and confusion. And it can be easy to allow a useful tool to become a means of excuse and therefore a hindrance. When you let useful tools become a way of excuse, they become like a personality test, for instance. When Jesus said, go and be my witnesses, he didn't say, this is only for the extroverts. He didn't say that. He said a blanket statement. You shall be my witnesses. Right? Blanket statement. Of the, of the apostles that Jesus had, do you think they all had the same personality type? I don't, think, I don't think it's manifested in the gospels that they did. You know? But yet all of them went. All of them spoke, all of them witnessed, all of them testified, all of them proclaimed, right? Yeah. Despite the diversity of personality that they each carried within, they did what Jesus said they was, that was theirs to do. And see, sometimes you can get into these things and they end up without you re- detecting it. The enemy sl- slightly, just ever so slightly twisted in your mind and your heart to give you reason why you shouldn't do certain things. And what he wants is to immobilize you because otherwise you'd be a threat to him. Avoidance is not your source for freedom. There are some things in life you're wise to avoid, but not every situation requires you to run and hide. Likewise, correction is not always someone trying to condemn you. Not all correction is condemnation, right? So how do you get to that level of freedom to where somebody can speak correction into your life and you don't feel condemned by it? You want to know why most people fight against correction? They're insecure. They've not settled certain things in their soul. And as a result, correction feels like I'm hopeless. But the person offering the correction never said they were hopeless. They were just demonstrating that there's something going on here that's a little out of step with who you are. Let's get you in step with who you are. But they can't. Oh, man, quit. Stop condemning me. You know, stop judging me. Come on now. Sometimes it can be so bad you're not even allowed to express the things that you like and you don't like. Because if you say what you don't like, the person that's that's wrestling with whatever thinks that you're condemning them. You, you know what I'm saying? We just had a guest from out of town at our house, and I kept yelling into the kitchen when they were preparing chili. I hope this Texas chili's good, because if it's not, I'm going to let you know. (laughs) (laughs) I won't lie. She She didn't feel at all threatened. (laughs) But I noticed she didn't turn to me at the meal and say, What do you think? (laughs) That's okay. You know? Here in the South, we don't even know how to take northerners. They're so matter-of-fact. They didn't say, oh, bless your heart, or you sweet thing, just let me just share with you a little something. I just love you so much. You know? They just come out and say it. And then you're like, I dare you. You know? Come on. There's a place you can live where none of that affects you. None of it. See, insecurity can turn things that are healthy into something devious and dangerous. And if you let the enemy sow that seed of suspicion in you, oh man, it it can go all kinds of different trails on that one. No one has to go through life getting beat up by insecurity. You don't have to live a life of avoiding and running from any type of correction that comes your way just because you think being proven wrong means you're being condemned. You don't have to live that way. Your enemy has commissioned a giant to come after you and challenge you in a way you might be unaccustomed with. You're going to have to make a choice about how you're going to go up against your giant or whether you will run from, 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 from him and, and try to spend your life paralyzed, avoiding, try, doing your best to stay clear, let me tell you, it will still find you. It will still find you. And you can't pretend him away as, as though he weren't there in hopes that one day he really will not be there. This is not the child pulling the blanket over their head to escape fear in the night. as if As long as you're under the blanket, you can't see him. No, this giant is coming after you. He's coming to where you are. He's coming to where you work. He's coming to where you go to school. He's coming to you in your living room. And this giant has a name. He's not going to leave on his own accord, he's on mission. Condemnation is like a giant. It is foreboding, intimidating, and paralyzing. It has a partner named fear. They work together often. Fear, when working with condemnation, seeks to paralyze you with the threat of failure. My youngest son was a gifted athlete. I mean gifted. It took till the last tournament game to get the boy to dunk the basketball. He could have been dunking for two seasons. When I would ask him, why don't you just go to the basket with it? And with authority, throw it in. And send, a, send the other team a message. Draw them to you. Give your, then you can feed your teammates the ball. All you want to. He said, but I like to spread No, you don't. You're afraid you'll go up and you won't make the dunk. Finally, the last game of a tournament. I said, when are you going to do what I've been telling you you ought to do? He said, I'm going to do it now. And he did it, and the place lit up. Hallelujah. He had the ability the whole time. But he was being paralyzed by fear of failure. There's a lot of things in this life in my early years that I did not attempt because those were the things that I thought I might fail at. So if you think you might fail at it, even if you do try, it's a half-hearted one. You don't really pour yourself into it because you're afraid it might fail and somebody might point out to you you're not so good at that. Come on. See, condemnation wants to come with fear. And it wants to threaten you. It wants to re-identify you in a way that leaves you with a sense of no hope of recovery, no hope of promise, and no hope of any change at all. And together, these two enemies work tirelessly to keep many in prison and hinder them from the true freedom that is theirs in Christ alone. He wants to hinder you. See, there's a true story in the Bible of how a king and his entire army was paralyzed by fear of failure and engaged in avoiding a condemning, intimidating adversary, hoping he would eventually go away. Would you be interested in learning this story? Finding out how this intimidating, condemning adversary was finally handled? Go with me to 1 Samuel. You know I'm not going to get up here and preach without scripture. (laughs) <laughs> I might start without it, but I, I can't get to the end without it. First Samuel 17. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. And we're gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah. Look where they're gathered. Israel's backyard. The place of their praise. That's Judah. You know where your giant wants to camp out? In the place of your praise. They encamped between Sokka and Azekah and ephes dam And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath by the way, Goliath from Gath, Goliath means giant. Gath means wine press. Goliath also means revealer. So here is this guy from a place called the wine press. What happens to grapes at the wine press? They get crushed. crushed. What? To reveal the content that they possess. So Israel's getting tested here. King Saul is being tested by what? A giant from a place called the winepress whose name means revealer. He's going to reveal what's really in their hearts. Yes. The truth. His height was six cubits in a span. That's over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which is about 125 pounds. So he had to be a pretty sturdy, stout, big guy to bear that much weight and expect to fight and be nimble, right? Mm -hmm. He, He had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders, And now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. 600 shekels is 15 pounds. That's the weight of his spearhead. This guy was intimidating, man. Then he stood and look at what he does. He stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, and look how he re-identifies. And you, the servants of Saul. Saul represents the flesh. Did you know that? That's what Saul represents. Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of the flesh. Of Saul? Aren't you just natural men? Aren't you just baseless, natural men? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Sounds like a reasonable deal, doesn't it? And the Philistines said... Here he goes. He's going to pour it on. He's not intimidated them enough yet. I defy the armies of Israel. Now he's trying to re-identify the army. This is the army of the living God, not Israel. Give me a man that we might fight together. And look at what his intimidation tactics do in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Why? Why? Because natural based reliance leads to dismay. They believed the report. Saul believed it was his army, that these were his servants. They accepted the reidentification that the giant was espousing. That he was proclaiming. They listened, they heard, and they accepted the testimony of Goliath. And because they accepted the testimony of Goliath, you have verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and not just mildly afraid... They were greatly afraid. Here's an entire army scared of one guy, one man. Now, David was a son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. Now, why do they put this in the midst of the story? Think about this. The the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn. Eliab, by the way, means God is father. Next to him was Abinadab. Which means my father is noble. And then the third, Shaman, which means dismay. Why does God put that in there? Why does He have to mention David's father and David's brothers? What significance to this story does their presence have? They didn't fight Goliath. Think about that for a second. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste anything in Scripture, saints. This is not just a simple historical account. There is revelation to be mined out of this. For those that wish to receive it, it's there. Verse 14, David was the youngest. And look at what the Holy Spirit inserts here. And the three oldest followed Saul. You got an eldest brother whose name means God is Father, but he's not living in the identity of it. The next one, father is noble, but he's not living in the identity of it. Neither one of them have volunteered to go fight this guy. And then, of course, you don't expect the third one to his his name means dismay. Appalling. Verse 15, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. If you're in the midst of a fight with the giant of condemnation, I promise you, he's there speaking to you when your eyes wake up in the morning, and he's there to make your sleep leave. He wants to affect the start of your day. And he wants to affect how you rest. Yep. Yeah. Verse 17. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an Ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. And then look at verse 18. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of the thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Why is this in here? Why the mention twice of ten? Ten speaks of order. Not just order, but law order. In other words, under the law, Israel had promises. If they... We were faithful to God and looked to God, they had promises they could call on. What are the ten lows about? They're encouragement. They're saying, look, here, ten lows. Ten lows represents that we're under God. Amen. We're under his leadership. We're under his order. We're under his rule. We're under his reign. We're not just anybody on earth, we're his. Ten cheeses, same thing. But do they minister any encouragement to any of these people they're given to? Not at all, because the law can't encourage you. Verse nineteen. Now Saul and they and the, and all the men of Israel, when the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. In other words, they're they're debating back and forth what's going on. They're not really engaged in conflict. The word fighting there could be interpreted argument. Because they've not got into conflict because for 40 days you've got Goliath coming out and saying these things and saying, hey, it's as simple as, just send me somebody. And they haven't sent anybody, right? So David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things, went to Jesse. Uh, When as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the camp as the the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. That's your fight. They're they're trying to out-shout each other. And they do this until Goliath comes out. And then they get greatly afraid. For Israel, verse 21, and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. Verse 22, And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. And then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. He heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. You ever notice in a football stadium how cocky one team will be and then something goes wrong? The ball gets intercepted, defensive player runs it all the way to the end zone, and the home crowd goes silent. What just happened? That's what you got here. Everybody's shouting about what they're going to do to each other. Yeah, when I get old, I'll slap you so hard, your, your grandbabies will be born dizzy. I mean they're talking it up. You know what? They're going at it. Cross cross away there. And then Goliath comes out and Israel goes, <gasps> and they start backing back up the mountain. Putting some distance. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him, they were dreadfully afraid. That is evidence of the crippling power of fear, saints. These men are seeing with natural eyes and accepting the report of Goliath. That's why they are crippled with fear. See, if you listen to the voice of the giant of condemnation who wants to re-identify you, You become prey for the spirit of fear. Automatically. So in verse 25, it says, The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who killed... Now look at what they're saying. He came up to defy Israel. They've they've let this re-identification take place. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David, <laughs> I love this, spoke to the man who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills his Philistine, takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is, and I love this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine That he should defy the armies of the living God. He's not forfeited his identity. He's living in it. And the people answered him in this manner saying, So it shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, remember the one whose father is God his father, right? Now, Eliab, that's that's religion for you. They'll make the claim, but they don't have what it takes, right? Right. Right. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, now he's going to try to get on Goliath's side. He wants David to re-identify like everybody else has. He says, quote, why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? In other words, demeaning him. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Isn't that often what happens? Somebody religious sees somebody moving in the confidence of the spirit of the living God and the new identity that is theirs in Christ, and what do they accuse them of? Pride and arrogance. This is what I call elder brother condemnation. You were all together born in sin and shall you teach us? Remember what the Pharisees said to the blind man who received healing? Verse 29, David's response, I love it. He says, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? He said, can't you see what's playing out here? Older brother don't you understand what's at stake? Then he turned from his older brother to another and said this and, and another said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first one did. He didn't quit his cause. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go up against this Philistine. Now he's getting a third dose of it. You're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth, and he'd be a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, and here's where the, the it seems cocky, but he's not. You ready? He says to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out. I went out. After it and struck it. And delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Confidence. No backing off. I love verse 37 because it starts with more over. This is emphasized. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me, now he's letting them know why he defeated the lion and the bear. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David knows his identity. He knows the source He knows what's going on. He's discerned the situation. He knows that this this giant out there hurling these insults are not insults at people. It's defying God himself. And God's not going to stand for it. He just needs somebody, anybody, to say, I'll go. I'll do it. So... Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor. (laughs) Why do you say, Lord, be with you, and then you try to suit him up like you? Saul clothed David with his armor, put a bronze helmet on his head, also clothed him with a coat of mail, and David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't even walk in these. I've not tested them. So David took it all off. Then... He took his staff in his hand. What is David going out with? What's most familiar Doing? Yep. Good. Yes. What he has. Right, yeah. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. Why five? Put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. David's not running away. By the way, we're we're living stones, being smoothed out when we're together. You can't be smoothed out when you're not together. You have to get together and find out all the idiosyncrasies and differences of one another and work past it. You have to find out I like a food a different way than you like that food. and Sometimes you have to eat it the way I fix it, and sometimes I have to eat it the way you fix it. You have to find out I like a different sports team than you do, and be okay with it. And I have to be okay with you liking a different. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I have to be okay with you if you're an Alabama fan yeah. or a Florida fan. Yeah. Come on, or Vanderbilt yeah. or Kentucky. I can keep going. You know, I have to be. Some of my greatest friends are. Fans of football teams that are not, you know. We have very interesting discussions when our teams meet up. And and, and a couple of them got to really boast last night, you know. I told you we'd do this. Well, we knew you would do it, but I told you we would fight till the end. They showed up and they stayed on the field. Come on. Win or lose, at least show up on the field, yes. ready to do it, yeah. right? right. Yeah. So here's David. And he's got five stones in his bag. They're smooth stones; they've been they've been worked out. Why five? Five saints is the number of grace. grace. Yeah. Don't miss out on the story the Holy Spirit is attempting to say. Even in the Old Testament scriptures, he's trying to testify that if you're going to defeat the giants in your life, you're going to need the grace of God to do it. Verse 41, so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. Here they are. They're coming. both of them are confident, right? And the man who bore the shield went before Goliath. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David... He disdained him. Remember how Paul had to say to Timothy in the New Testament, do not let any man despise your youth. Why? Because, Timothy, you've been called. You're a called man. doesn't matter how old you are. You're called. You're not substantiated by your age. You're substantiated by the calling. So he saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So verse 43, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? What he's referring to is shepherd staff. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Well, now it's getting really intense. Now he's being cursed. Isn't that what the spirit of condemnation does? Tell you, you're coming under a curse for your failure? Verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. This is an intimidation tactic. Here's where the spirit of fear is working with the giant of condemnation. You're not going to live through this one. Then David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword and a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. You know what he's saying? I'm going to silence your stupidity and nonsense. You're not going to be speaking after today. We're putting an end to this. Then David went on to say, Then all this assembly, all this what? Assembly. He didn't say army. He chose a word here That's impertinent. This is God's people gathered. Yeah, it's an army arrayed in battle, but this is God's people gathered, and they're not believing the right thing about God. And it needs to be rectified. So, David says, then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell to the face, on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. What's he trying to say? Grace wins every time. The enemy cannot overcome the grace of God. Therefore, since David had no sword, he ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherem, even as far as Gath and Ekron, and the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And what should we withdraw out of this for application? One person truly moving in grace on mission can embolden and assemble. Just one. Just one person grasping, understanding, having a revelation of the grace of God, their identity in Christ, and willing to step out and confidently and boldly pursue it, without apology, with no shame, can embolden an assembly. See, you can't do this if you've not learned what it means to receive and activate the grace of God in your existence. The grace of God doesn't just get you into the kingdom. The grace of God moves you through the journey of life in the kingdom here on earth. It is the grace of God that carries you. It is the grace of God that empowers you. It is the grace of God that tells you who you are. It is the grace of God that tells you that's who you are even when in your flesh you haven't behaved like you should. It calls you back to who you are so that you'll get back up on your feet again. Knowing the forgiveness of your Father, the loving kindness of your Father, the mercy of your Father, and get back on track again. And get going in the right direction. Why is this so important? Well, yeah, Jesus defeated his enemies at the cross. But we are his representatives on this earth as his bride and him being the head. And his enemies... Still want to skirmish and act like it didn't happen. In a church empowered by the grace of God has the authority to declare to those enemies, it was done, it was finished, and you're spouting stupidity, and today we're going to cut your head off so you can't speak anymore. You don't cut the head of the enemy off with a natural sword. You cut the enemy's head off with the sword of the word of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what he accomplished and finished at the cross. That's how you cut the enemy's head. Head off. You don't cut his head off by having your act together. You don't have your. You don't, you don't cut his head off because you prayed enough this week. You don't cut his head off because you've read enough this week. You cut his head off now. Now, if you're praying and you're reading, you're emboldening yourself. If you're reading and praying in the right direction, you're not doing it as a religious earning system, but you're doing it as a responsive, loving relationship-born activity in your life then you're letting grace fill you and you're able to cut the head off your enemy with the sword of the good news of Jesus Christ. And when he comes and he tries to say to you, you can agree with him, I, in my flesh, nothing good. <laughs> you're absolutely right when you're speaking about my flesh. But I am a child of the living God. Amen. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Name written in the book of life in the blood of Jesus himself. You are messing with the wrong person, because you're upsetting my father. Yeah. I remember in my journey of ministry, in my garage, which was my prayer room, I was in there one day. I was praying for names on my board that I had there at the time, and I was I was trying to really just get a sense that I was really having some some progress and. I just couldn't, and it was such an intense time, and it was such warfare going on in the church. And I and I was just battling, 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 and it kept, and even though my garage was lit, it just kept getting darker and darker and darker. And I felt more oppressive, oppressive. And I and I just, I got to where I just almost couldn't get words out. All I could get out was Jesus, help me. And then out of nowhere, this revelation washed over me in the room became bright and the revelation was I am mad at my enemy for messing with you and I'm going to deal with him and so the next thing that came out of my mouth in my prayer closet was now you've done the wrong thing devil you've made father angry and you're in trouble he's going to deal with you and the air was as clear everything just opened up just like that. I didn't have to lift a sword. I didn't have to. All I needed was a revelation. My father loved me. My father is there with me. My father is for me. He's not against me. He will fight my battles. He will take care of me. The enemy's not going to prevail over me. He's not going to have success in what he was trying to do to me. And what he's trying to do to me is say, you ought to quit this thing. You ought to give up. This is too hard for you to continue. If you haven't learned to fight the war with grace don't go on the ministry you'll lose your mind it's staggering how many leaders of churches have committed suicide or left the ministry altogether and gone into secular avenues because they can't continue they're losing their minds you're going to achieve what God calls you into by your own strength and power. You can only achieve it by the Holy Spirit's power. And the only way you're going to have the Holy Spirit's power is by grace, through faith. It's by faith. And it's according to grace. It's not according to your performance. That's why when Eliab, the older brother, tried to tell David, that, shouldn't you be with that small number of sheep you hang out with in the wilderness, you backwards boy. You. Do you know who God says you are? Do you really know who God says? Could you come play, Hannah? Do you really know who God says you are? Because that is something you gotta get settled. Because I'm telling you, the warfare is intensifying in these last days yes, it is. against the people of God, yes. against his kids. Yes. You're not just people of God now. You're his children, yes. his dearly beloved children. You're the bride of Christ. When we're together like this, we're the bride of Christ. Yes. Which, by the way, you cannot be the church by yourself. It's impossible. No one by themselves can be the church. The word ekklesia in the New Testament, when Jesus said, I will build my ekklesia, ekklesia in the Greek means assembly, gathering, community. You can't be a community to yourself. We need each other. We need the grace of God. We need to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to confront the giant of condemnation and destroy the work of fear in our lives, He would even make you fearful to branch out in areas that you would otherwise not. If you don't go there, you can't achieve certain things. You know, I got challenged about what are you going to do about travel? If they they lock it down and say that you can't get on a plane and go to the nations unless you're vaccinated. I said, we'll figure that out when it gets here. But even if I were to put any deadly poisonous thing in my body, it can't hurt me if I'm on a mission with God. I'll settle that when the time comes. But for now, I don't don't worry about any of it. I don't have time to worry about it. Are you hearing me? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now. You've got to know how to navigate it in the wisdom of God. Now, right now, if they came and told me I just have to do the vaccine, I'd say, you've lost your mind. I don't have to do anything. well you can't go into a public building I don't want to visit your public building I haven't been visiting your public building it annoys me (laughs) because there's foolishness taking place in it are you hearing me you can't have a church meeting well good luck on stopping that one we're the church we're called to gather going to do it we did it through the pandemic right that's what we do right we employ a few wise measures here and there just you know to prove we're not just stupid and presumptuous but we're the church we're called together and not only we call together we're called to go and we're getting ready to implement that one too in a more intensified way than we've ever done it. So gear up for that one. Why do I want you bold? Because God's going to call us into some things. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you've been fighting with your giant, you don't feel too successful. Well, that's okay. The throne of grace is where you find mercy to help in your time of need, right? What throne is it? Grace. Not the throne of condemnation, not the throne of criticism. The throne of Grace. So if you're here this morning, you've been in the battle, you've been in the fray, I want you to come. We're going to pray together. We're going to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to empower us today with breakthrough empowerment for us to rise up in who God says we are and to do what God says we can do. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? If you're here today and you've been wrestling, you've been fighting, you've been in the midst of the battle, and you know, when you're in the midst of the battle, here's how you can discern it very easily. It's hard to settle your thoughts in one place. There's confusion, you know. That where there is confusion, there is every other evil word. What is it saying? The enemy's afoot, all right? When you can't get your thoughts in line, when you can't put things together the way they need to go together, you're, you're in warfare. Just let's identify that right now, but let's not let the warfare identify you. So if that's you, I want you to come and we're just going to pray together and we're going to believe for breakthrough this morning. Amen? Whoever that may be. And it doesn't matter what the nature of the warfare is. It doesn't make a difference. There is no enemy greater than your God. And if he has come against you, he didn't come against you. He came against your God. Because the idea is that you have the testimony of Jesus Christ in your life, which is more than an overcomer. Right? That's your testimony. That's your right in the kingdom of God. And so we're going to serve notice on your enemies today. Amen? Let's raise our hand. We're going to pray together. Father, we've been in the battle. We've been hearing a voice that is not your voice trying to tell us we're somebody we're not. And we're rejecting that voice right now. We reject the voice of our enemy. And Lord, we tune our ears to hear you. And we say to this enemy, he has defied you and what you say about us. And so, Father, we hand this to you. We thank you for taking care of this enemy of condemnation. And shutting him up. Shutting him up. Some of you are up here. I just hear it in my spirit right now. In fact, there's three of you. You feel like this is the 93rd failure on the same track. It does not identify you, you are identified by Christ in you the hope of glory and you had been overrun by fear of failure the Lord would say look to him and live look to him and live Father we look to you today we look to Jesus Christ who is the author and the finisher of our faith we look to him alone And our confidence is in him alone and what he did at the cross. And our boast is in the completed work of that cross here today, Father. We say to our enemy, you can accuse us of many things and in the flesh it would be true. But we say to you, in the spirit we have been made new. It is not who we are. And we are reckoning that flesh dead here today. And we are saying we are sons and daughters of the living God. will listen to you no more no more we're cutting off your head with this word we have been bought by the blood of Jesus that is the word of our testimony we have been bought by the blood of the lamb we are his property not yours and you have no right to think you should have any authority over us and we say to you now be gone in the name of Jesus Take your fear and oppression with you. Fear be gone, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, as you say that, some things should be clearing up for you. Some things should be clearing up for you. Now, the next thing you need to add to this prayer is, Lord, show me You're designed for me. What have you planned for me, Father? In the context of who you say I am, what is mine to take up? And let me pursue it in all diligence. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. name. Be free. Be free. In Jesus' name. Be free, be free in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. It is for freedom that Christ has set you be, set you free. Be free, be free, be free, be free. You are not all of the components and issues and circumstances and events of your past life. That's not who you are. Be free in Jesus' name. Be free, be free in Jesus name be free in the name of Jesus be free right now because it is for freedom Christ has set you free no more of that bondage no more of that oppression it's gone in Jesus name do you believe it? then give him thanks thank him for setting you free amen hallelujah hallelujah Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Holy Lamb of God. Now, Father, for these that have come up here for this time of prayer, we pray refreshing over them now. Refreshing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Come up here, Jonathan. Come up here, Bobby. (laughs) Come on up here. Jonathan, you can come if if Elisa could take it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Sue, Sheila, would you come? Thank you, Lord. We're just going to lay hands on them and just very simply just ask God for refreshing in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Refreshing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Refreshing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you, Lord. Refreshing in the power of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Holy Spirit. Oil of joy and gladness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.